Good morning. Uh, today is Wednesday, August 25, <clears throat> almost the end of August. The last third of the year is about to start. Uh, class 25, Chongsu, slowly wrapping up as much as I can in the middle of chapter 4, and I will um, cherry pick a bit of some of the key teachings in chapter 4, which is called In the World of Men, and move into chapter 5 um, in the way of uh, moving to complete the series on Chongsu. And <clears throat> like I was just saying, uh, the relevance of this teaching to our present condition or our personal lives is really important in general as a subset of any spiritual teaching or any teaching or any thing we pay attention to. Is it important to you or not? <laughs> How important is it? And it may serve, you know, watching a funny movie for an hour and a half serves a certain function in the way of, let's say, relaxation, entertainment, distraction, um, stress alleviation. Uh, and so there's a difference between uh, watching it for an hour and a half versus watching six hours when at some point you realize uh, this is not helpful, I'm just avoiding something. And likewise, this teaching, <clears throat> uh, very, um, it's very Chinese, it's very uh, classical Chinese. And the world 2,300 years ago when presumably whoever it is that's called Chongsu wrote these inner chapters, one through seven, is a very different world than today. And yet there are core principles that we face or, we're, or that, that guard our lives as well and that uh, he's addressing in his own fanciful, um, very Chinese culturally imprinted way of that time. Uh, Mid-page 95, <clears throat> um, we see Confucius giving a teaching, the mouthpiece for Zhongzi giving a teaching about fate and duty. Uh, fate is like destiny. Duty is like obligation, obviously. And uh, to accord one's life with one's fate is to accord the decisions we make in terms of how we live our life or what we'll choose to experience, where we go, where we avoid, what's more or less important. According life with fate um, requires this understanding of um, fate and duty. And uh, it's very clear, it's put in the context of serving a ruler or the reformer approaching the ruler to give guidance, uh, and in general relations, the, the relations of the world of men, is in the category or, or has relevance to both fate and duty. There are certain things that we cannot escape or cannot avoid, cannot change. And then there are other phenomena <clears throat> that um, are very much up to personal decision. And then there is in the world of men or in our world, our life with humanity, that which um, really is uh, obligatory. Do your danda, do your dharma, eat what's on your plate, like Nityananda said. Uh, the importance of, of dharma or dhamma <clears throat> in the sense of personal obligation, responsibility. And while this was put into a you know, naturally uh, classical Chinese cultural context, uh, that, is a, that, that axis 
of um, living a life composed or including both fate destined, what we cannot avoid or, ex- or cannot change, what must be experienced, and the decision points in accord with fate and in accord with uh, duty, uh, recognition of what I must do because of the circumstances of my birth or my place in the world. You can say that duty is an aspect of fate as well, which is a sort of advanced understanding. The apparently obligatory um, actions or choices or experiences that we face in the life that seem to be beyond our uh, beyond the, the pale of um, freely choosing <clears throat> they're sometimes freely chosen before birth um, commonly so this though has a lot of bearing um, on our present life in the world as it is today in these end times where <laughs> we have apocalypse and Armageddon we have the revelation of all sorts of matters, self and other, personal and collective, good and evil, um, revelation of truth, revelation of deception. Um, very heavy time, and a lot of hard decisions need to be made, and a lot of um, matter, a lot of a lot of uh, experiences that we would not want to. We we seem to be unable to change and control or. Uh, shift in our favor in terms of our preferences. Th- this is these are matters that are um, are quite relevant. So mid page ninety five, and I'll just jump a bit towards uh, with what I consider the most important paragraphs in this second read through of chapter four, and um, try to bring some context or bring consider its context in present times on Earth and our personal life. Confucius said, "Quote." In the world, there are two great decrees. One is fate, and the other is duty. That a son should love his parents is fate. You cannot erase this from his heart. That a subject should serve his ruler is duty. There's no place he can go and be without his ruler, no place he can escape to between heaven and earth. These are called the great decrees, right? So fate and duty, or destiny and required um, action. Therefore, to serve your parents and be content to follow them anywhere, this is the perfection of filial piety. To serve your ruler and be content to do anything for him, this is the peak of loyalty. Of course, I'm not recommending following human rulers. And to serve your own mind, so that sadness or joy does not sway or move it, to understand what you can do nothing about and to be content with it as fate, or content with it as with fate, this is the perfection of virtue. As a subject and a son, you're bound to find things you can't avoid. If you act in accordance with the state of affairs and forget about yourself, then what leisure will you have to love life and hate death? Act in this way and you'll be all right. And so we've got the great decrees of fate and duty. What cannot be changed uh, like pre-programmed catalyst, Uh, marriage partner if we're married, children, life, place where we are. Certain things uh, for now can't be changed. Maybe they can never be changed. 
you know, that I have certain parents, that, that we have certain family uh, members, uh, that we have a certain body, that we have certain strengths and weaknesses even. Some of it can't be changed. And then there's duty, <clears throat> and or the duty of uh, where we can freely choose uh, to, to follow what seems to be duty or not. And all of that accordance according the mind with fate or destiny, according the choices with um, a rightful recognition of obligation. Right? It's a very subtle point here. According the mind and our heart with what we cannot change, which we have to experience or cannot have, right? I can't have this or I must experience that, according the mind with fate or destiny, then according the mind in the way uh, with duty, meaning making the rightful choices or choices that are rightful fulfillment of, of rightful responsibility, duty, obligation. This is according life with fate and according mind with life with fate or according the mind with one's uh, balanced life, with a spiritualized uh, life where we acknowledge some things I can't change, that's called destiny, and some things I really have to do. That's called what's on my plate to eat. And then it, there's what's on your plate that's not for me to eat or for me to face or deal with. Do your danda, not someone else's. Do your, do, live your, fulfill your obligations, whatever they are, uh, not someone else's. Don't worry about theirs. Uh, and as an aside, that's why, that's why you know, people who seek uh, complete and perfect enlightenment as much as possible in a single life or in this single life uh, go the way of vairagya with radical detachment from the uh, pleasures and obligations of relationship. There's pleasure, there's obligation. You want pleasure? Well, you got obligation. They come together. Um, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether we accord with it or not, uh, relationship brings both pleasure and obligation. I mean, there's there's much other you know phenomena in relationship too. But what you must do, what we must do, and then the the benefits we get from it. You know, you know, a, a compatible or a harmonious, healthy relationship. And the monk, the yogi, the <laughs> seeker of the one uh, of more more radical self transformation, awakening right now in this life. Uh, is willing to forego the pleasures and comforts and security and all the benefits of relationship to dispense with the obligations. And we all do that to some degree, some people more than less, others, and it changes over the course of one's life. Uh, as a parent, uh, obligations decrease as the children become adult, dot, 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 everybody knows that. And <clears throat> there is a rightful detachment from engagement in relationship um, that you've got to figure out yourself, obviously, that foregoes uh, the benefits um, to be free of the obligations. This is a very subtle point, and, it's, you, and there is a cost. You want to pay, you got, you want to play, you got to pay. You know, you want to pay, you want to play, you got to pay. What does it mean? You want to get something? Well, you got to have to give something. That's always the case. And so... Getting without giving 
puts us into a karmic bind or gets us into a karmic complication of, of long-term or even multi-incarnational obligation. Some people come in with karmic debt to each other. I mean, like we all have that to some degree with some people in our lives. And that's normal. Uh, some of it is born of <laughs> past life uh, shirking or offloading rightful responsibility to those people or systems or family or dot, dot, dot. And now we have to balance the books by doing the danda uh, that we'd wiped off our plate <laughs> before. Not eaten, but um, thrown off the plate and uh, thinking that we're clear. But actually it's avoidant and it comes back. So a couple of points here. Um, <clears throat> to serve your parents... To be content to follow them anywhere, the perfection of filial piety, right? So there's the duty, there's family obligation. Then, to serve your ruler, be content to do anything for him, the peak of loyalty. So there's family piety or filial piety and um, obligation duty associated with family, but also friends and, and loved ones. Then loyalty to ruler... Um, I wouldn't recommend that at this time in history, but <laughs> uh, no comment. But we just look at their faces, the faces of the human rulers at present, and um, <laughs> it's a clown show. And so, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Logos. Thank you. This is this is what free will brings you. Yeah. All right. We love the law of free will. So. Uh, but there is the perfection of virtue associated with rightful loyalty. Um, loyalty particularly to the obligations we've taken upon ourselves in terms of work and in terms of extended um, collectives, you know, our neighborhood or, or uh, others that are not of family or their loved ones. Then, as subject and son, you're bound to find things you can't avoid. Right. That's called duty. And some of it is obviously destiny. If you act in accordance with the state of affairs, meaning what is on your plate, and forget about yourself, then what leisure will you have to love life and hate death? <clears throat> and so we got a couple of points there. Acting in accordance with the state of affairs means um, a rightful willingness to fulfill obligations, uh, and accept destiny and fate, what cannot be changed. But that also can lead to forgetting about yourself, meaning I throw myself in my work or my obligations, or I'm um, not self-pitying. <laughs> I'm not stuck in self-pity. And <clears throat> that's very important. Uh, this is not a vacation. We're not here on vacation. This is a business trip. And this is a training. It's hard training, a hard training business trip. <clears throat> uh, and not a vacation. You know, long, long ago, people asked me, do souls ever come to Earth just to have a good time? And I said, well, how much of a good time can you have here? Well, you can have a lot of a good time. And it'll naturally be alternating with a lot of a bad time. Meaning, pleasure and pain alternate in the human life. No matter where you are, what time epoch, I tell you, I've been in many. And what level of wealth, poverty, well-being, social standing. The guys at the top, the guys at the bottom, the guys in the middle, guys and gals. Uh, at any epoch, <clears throat> I tell you, um, 
have a continued alternation of pleasure, pain, uh, dukkha, sukkha, and um, fulfillment, frustration. That's 3D life. That's why it's called kamaloka, kamaloka, desire realm, which is really born of incessant uh, dissatisfaction. It's really the desire that uh, continually sprouts up in mind in the face of the very rapid degradation of pleasure, fulfillment, joy, happiness associated with materialistic, you know, fulfillment of desire, if you know what I mean. So if you act in accord with the state of affairs and then if we do fully or deeply, we will forget about ourselves, or there'll be um, a freedom from checking, from, from self, you know, excessive self-suppression or restriction <clears throat> and not making a big deal out of myself. This is important too, by the way. Then what leisure will you have to love life, hate death? This is a stock phrase, love life, hate death. It means over-attached to incarnation and over-avoidant uh, um, or um, unwilling of death or the end of the incarnation. Unwilling to, to let go when you've got to let go and accept that someday I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to be here forever. And that's okay. You know, not, it's the opposite of rage, rage against the dying of the light, the Dylan Thomas poem. The opposite of that, it is accept, accept the dying of the light, which is not the dying of light, it's actually just the rightful end of incarnation. And the rightful end of all sorts of circumstances that um, might have brought, bring, brought fulfillment or well-being, or associated with well-being. <clears throat> act in this way, you'll be all right, <laughs> he said. So don't get stuck in attachments to pleasure, fulfillment, even though it's, you know, obviously we go by pleasure pain and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's the pain of avoiding pain. And then the pain of um, uh, tightly seeking to bind to continued pleasure. Uh, pleasure comes and goes. Ross said, you know, for the positive server, king, things come through him or her. Whenever I say him, I mean man, not, not gender. Man, meaning the human. So things come through the one on the positive path, not simply to, meaning coming here and stopping and they build a storehouse. And so the positive path is so much associated with Tao as way and flow. And that includes... Uh, have it, you know, touch and go. I think Jack Cornfield talked about Vipassana practices, mindfulness, touch and go, uh, recognition and go back to the breath or the object of concentration. So this is very just a very important line that could be used as reflection. If you act in accordance with the state of affairs, including destiny and fate, what can't be changed, including duty, obligation, what ought to be, uh, willingly uh, worked through on one's plate and forget about yourself, um, rightly uh, take oneself a bit lightly. Because what is the self we're taking lightly? It's the conscious mind with its preferences, the personality of a life, not the higher self, not true nature. Forget about yourself doesn't mean forget true nature. It means forget the, um, the ephemeral <laughs> mind-body self of the lifetime. And forget doesn't mean neglect. It just means don't uh, make a big deal out of yourself. 
Most everyone does. Most teachers do. Mm. Then what leisure will you have to love life and hate death? Very useful line for reflection. Then down the page, down the chapter, some discussion about humans in relationship and how things fall apart. Uh, Yes, that's true. Mid-page 97, quote, Therefore, the aphorism, the saying, says, quote, Do not deviate from your orders. Do not press for completion. To go beyond the limit is excess. To deviate from orders or press for completion is a dangerous thing. A good completion takes a long time. A bad completion cannot be changed later. Can you afford to be careless? Just go along with things and let your mind move freely. Resign yourself to what cannot be avoided, which is fate, destiny, as well as, um, you know, the willingness to rightfully fulfill obligation and duty. Resign yourself to what cannot be avoided and nourish what is within you. Mm, Nourish what's best. This is best. What more do you have to do to fulfill your mission? Nothing is as good as following orders, obeying fate. And that's how difficult it is, meaning it isn't. Actually, it's not, it's, it's not, it's simple, but not easy. That's the, I think, Ada Roshi, uh, the scoundrel and bad man, actually said that um, when I was in the Daibosatsu Zendo in the early 80s. Uh, the Dharma, the Dhamma, the path, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's simple, but not easy. And it's not really easy to uh, deeply accept fate, destiny, what can't be changed, truly uh, again and again and again, willingly, you know, with an open heart, fulfill obligations and duty uh, that we have. Even to recognize it is not always that easy or is not commonly easy. So it's not easy. Uh, It's not easy to forget yourself or take yourself rightly, lightly. Take yourself rightly, lightly, rightfully, lightly. Don't make a big deal out of selfhood or personal personalism. That's important. I mean, meditation so fully, so deeply assists all this. By the way, meaning meditation, where one can really have forgotten oneself, have the experience of um, presence, uh, true nature presence, without uh, self uh, reflection. You know, the self reflection of of thinking. Uh, where that's temporarily suspended. So helpful for all this. So, it's a perfect quote. Just go along with things and let your mind move freely. Resign yourself to what cannot be avoided and nourish what is within you, meaning the kingdom of heaven. This is best. What more do you have to do to fulfill your mission, life purpose? Nothing is as good as following orders, obeying fate, although there's more than that. That's how difficult it is. All right. Now, <clears throat> there's more discussion of uh, uh, approaching, rightfully approaching the ruler, the tyrant, without getting uh, cut down. And uh, don't be careless. <laughs> don't be uh, uh, underestimating of danger when there is danger, for sure. Uh, can you afford to be careless? Don't be careless. Uh, critical teaching in terms of Service in terms of being with anyone with power in dealing with situations in the world today. It is dangerous. There are, are dangers. 
and one should be rightfully careful, um, which doesn't mean paranoid or fearful or wary even. Just be aware. <laughs> Just be alert. Keep your senses. Keep your wits about you. Then the final portion of this chapter is back to uh, the use of the useless and uh, carpenter she and the oak tree and um, basically the value of uh, uh, not, uh, uh, <laughs> embracing the useless, val- recognizing the, what, what is valuable and useful about what we commonly think is useless. And in some ways this is also akin to making good use of deficiency. If I can't do air travel, if I can't go to the uh, cinema, if I can't do certain things because I'm unwilling to get their passports or their chip or their stamp or their jab or their thing, um, is am I now in uselessness? No. Um, the There's greater isolation, for sure. And so nobody wants isolation that is akin to the useless it's the unvalued right the useless equals the unvalued whether it's unvaluable non-valuable or not it's another matter it's not valued because we normally it's on the on the on the end of the pleasure pain scale at at the level of pain or restriction or uh i can't find value in it yet um, there is value if we uh, expand perspe- perspective. And so that which I now cannot do gives another situation. And there's value in there commonly. I mean, again, it depends. But commonly, there is unrecognized value in the uh, in the situations uh, that are the consequence of restriction or deficiency. Not having can be valuable as much as having. Not doing can be valuable, meaning what can I do in this condition of restriction, deprivation, isolation, non, non-allowance? Um, is it necessarily uh, dukkha only? Is there pleasure? Is there value? And pleasure is of a certain value, but there are there are experiences that are of more value than pleasure, actually. Meanwhile, pleasure is important, and uh, avoidance of pain and getting cut down early is important. Meanwhile, there are certain values that are higher, or we can recognize higher values. So finding the value in what is not in accord with our preference and initial desire that is commonly felt as useless or unvaluable or um, a condition uh, um, that is not non-beneficial, a cost, not a benefit. Finding the benefit at cost. (laughs) Finding the value in what is felt to be um, um, uh, what, what I would never want to choose, would never choose for myself or the ending of certain freedoms or fulfillments. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we have to get used to a lot of that today. And, you know, the bitter truth is that we chose to be born into um, a degrading society with degrading mentality, degrading rationality, degrading morality. Not only that, yeah, more people are waking up and moving into love also. But that's the minority. 
I mean, what's the harvest? 90%? No, no. More 10, 15, maybe. So lots of people that we may encounter or some people that we may encounter are waking up, moving into love light. True. Yes, that's great. Beautiful. But actually, that's not the majority. So don't fool yourself unless you like to be fooled. But uh, we chose a difficult time, much more difficult than we thought it would be, actually. It's a, this is a war on Earth. I mean, the way I see it, it's very much 4D negative doing war on the 3D Earth repeaters, or 3D humanity as a whole, and we're part of it for now. So, all right, <clears throat> and um, more discussion of um, the value of living out the years heaven gave you not being cut down mid-journey by axes, like a tree that's so beautiful, wonderful. So, uh, keeping your light under a bushel, rightly, when needed, when you yourself determine that it's best, that's good to do, when it indeed seems to be good to do. Protect yourself. <clears throat> so, uh, looking after himself and finishing out the years heaven gave him. So, then uh, the final anecdote, page 103 and chapter 4. When Confucius visited Chu, Jie Yu, the local madman, the madman of Chu, wandered by his gate crying, Phoenix, it is Feng. Uh, I think it. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's, it's maybe feng. Feng means wind in Chinese. There are many meanings for the same sound or one sound with different uh, tones. <clears throat> but Phoenix, Phoenix, how has virtue failed? <laughs> the future you cannot wait for. The past you cannot pursue. When the world has the Tao, the sage succeeds. When the world is without the Tao, the sage survives. Uh, make note of that, folks. In times like the present, we do well to escape penalty. Good fortune is as light as a feather, but nobody knows how to pick it up. Misfortune is as heavy as the earth, but nobody knows how to stay out of its way. Leave off, leave off this teaching men virtue. Dangerous, dangerous to mark off the ground and run. Fool, fool, don't spoil my walking. I walk a crooked way. Don't step on my feet. The mountain trees do themselves harm. The grease in the torch burns itself up. The cinnamon can be eaten, and so it gets cut down. The lacquer tree can be used, and so it gets hacked apart. All men know the use of the useful, but nobody knows the use of the useless. And so, uh, it's certainly a counsel against seeking fame. <laughs> fame and fortune. If you're seeking fame and fortune, or at least fame, in this 3D collective, you are going to be in trouble. Whether you get it or not, you'll be in trouble if you become famous. You'll be in trouble if you're salivating for fame and don't get it. Uh, I don't think there are many people here in that condition, but we know some do do, or are. Uh, <laughs> I think um, Krishnamurti said something like, it's no mark of of uh, health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. 
there's truth to that. There's truth to that. Meanwhile, you know, human beings uh, are, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven within for all. And uh, it's a super beautiful planet. So it's important to um, know the human well, its um, beauty and um, perfidy, and uh, real and and remain aware of the context, which is called uh, cosmic plan and uh, a most beautiful planet and um, light, love, light, eternal, and um, this too shall pass. And we're here for a brief moment. So now moving on, chapter five, the sign of virtue complete, page one hundred seven. I'll read it through and um, see what we go from there and uh, do some selected commentary. So, Burton Watson translation, Chongsu, chapter 5, <clears throat> the sign of virtue complete. And so, this goes further on discussion of in the world of men moving to complete the, the is virtue or power, and that's Dao De Cheng, same the. Story goes in Lu. There was a man named Wang Tai who had had his foot cut off, generally which is done as a punishment or from birth. He had as many followers gathered around him as Confucius. Chang Ji asked Confucius, this Wang Tai who's lost a foot, how does he get to divide up Lu, the state of Lu, with you, master, and make half of it his disciples? He doesn't even have a foot. He doesn't stand up and teach. He doesn't sit down and discuss. Yet they go to him empty and come home full. Does he really have some wordless teaching, some formless way of bringing the mind to completion? What sort of man is he? Confucius said, This gentleman is a sage. It's just that I've been tardy and haven't gone to see him yet. But if I go to him as my teacher, how much more should those who are not my equals, meaning how much more should those who are not my equals go to him as their teacher? And, he goes on, why only the state of Lu? I'll bring the whole world along and we'll all become his followers. This was scandalous <laughs> to the Confucians in the audience uh, reading Zhangzi through the centuries. Although, as the centuries went on, I would imagine, actually, many of those who would put their party loyalty with the Confucians uh, recognized the value of Taoism and uh, aspects of Buddhism became more ecumenical. and um, but, but there is a little scandal involved in saying Confucius was go to this guy without a foot and take him as his teacher and bring everyone to become his followers. Going on, page 108, Chang Ji, the guy who's asking Confucius, said, If he's lost a foot and is still superior to the master, then how far above the common run of men must he be? But if that's so, then what unique way does he have of using his mind? Right? So, <laughs> you think that they're primitive in ancient China, right? 2,300 years ago, already multiple perspectives on how to rightly use our mind. Uh-huh. That's pretty sophisticated, I think. Confucius said, Life and death are great affairs, and yet they are no change to him. Though heaven and earth flop over and fall down, it is no loss to him. He sees clearly into what has no falsehood and does not shift with things. 
things that arise persist and pass away. He takes it as fate that things should change. And he holds fast to the source. This is a very important teaching here, very pith. And this is why, this is an example to me of how these seven inner chapters really are distinct, different authorship and um, consciousness or origin than the latter 26 chapters or so. Confucius said, Life and death are great affairs, indeed, and yet they are no change to him. They're great affairs, but they're no change to him. Though heaven and earth flop over and fall down, it is no loss to him. He sees clearly into what has no falsehood, right? Beyond true and false has no falsehood. Beyond true and false is the only place where there's no falsehood, where there's neither true nor false. He does not shift with things. Things do their thing, and do not shift doesn't mean, I mean, you know, who knows what he meant, but uh, I think it's uh, unreasonable to imagine one doesn't uh, feel the influence of things that change. Things that change influence us. We are open systems. I is not a solid solid object. I is uh, a standing field of energy consciousness. I is a standing field temporarily, multidimensional standing energy field of consciousness light, of vibrating light consciences, vibrating sentience, sentient vibration. I is sentient vibration, the sentient vibration of light whose nature is Logos and Godhead, uh, not distinct. The water in the drop is the same as the water in the ocean. Water is water. And yet things um, born persist and pass away. We are influenced, but there may be a non... If you hold fast to what doesn't change, then you, quote, don't shift with things. He takes it as, in the final sentence, he takes it as fate that things should change. And he holds fast to the source. So we can take it as fate that, that I is influenced or swayed somewhat by changing things, which includes changing feelings. Yeah, feelings change, body changes, sensations come and go, perceptions come and go, sankara comes and goes, thought forms, feelings, memory, fantasy visceral feeling, health and illness, things change, uh, and things fall apart. And yet one may hold fast to source, which is associated with true nature, which is associated with non-duality, which is associated with silence of mind at a steady state. But I wouldn't try to be in joy all the time. That's silly. And I wouldn't try to be clear all the time. I try to be present all the time. And be present with things that do change, knowing their emptiness and acknowledging that I am somewhat swayed sometimes by the empty apparent things or phenomena that arise and pass away. Yeah, inner, outer, body, my body, my mind, this mind, my body, and you, and others, and the collective, and history. Yeah, okay. Phenomena arises, persists, passes away, whether it's personal of mind, body, mind, body, spirit, or relational, or of the collective and the society or the planet around us. Yeah, okay. Things should change, they must change. They take it as fate that things should change. So that's a refinement uh, 
on the previous chapter's discussion of fate and duty. It's fate also that things change. It's fate that I'm here in Kamaloka, where <clears throat> the uh, Anicca impermanence is mainly of uh, 3D uh, formations, 3D space-time phenomena. Inner may well be spiritual uh, of uh, the Empyrean of light, love, source, true nature, too. Those are things, too, by the way. <laughs> Heaven and earth is all a thing. And yet, we may hold fast to source. What does it mean? Well, it isn't a thing. That's the point. Nirvana is not a thing. Enlightenment is not a thing. These are not states of mind. They're freedom from the uh, the the experience of being tossed about by apparently substantial uh, states of mind. Right? Phenomena is not the issue. States of mind are the problem. Uh, heaven and hell is made by the mind. But there are outer two. <laughs> so anybody who... Uh, thinks that, oh, hell is just made by your mind, therefore it's not real. Well, actually that's not true in my experience. Hell as an apparent environment is as real as the physical world around our apparent body, or our body, which is apparently ours and substantial. Hell as a as a environment, dimensionality, a dimensional environmental field, is as real as the physical space-time of this world, uh, for sure. Meanwhile, we don't have to go there, <laughs> or um, it doesn't have to be um, a destination. Uh, so, life and death are great affairs, but they're no change to him, or their, their reality is well you know, uh, recognized. This is a serious matter here. Uh, meanwhile, it's ever-shifting uh, empty formations. Meanwhile, they affect us, whatever us or I is. Meanwhile, there is uh, freedom from being swayed. Ra said, for the perfectly balanced entity, no situation would have, would actually elicit emotional charge. So we can be, we can continue towards non-triggerability while being o- open-hearted and feelingful when feeling arises, the other or ours, without being attached to it, without suppressing, without denigrating, without overvaluing. Mm, That's balance, which is really a subtle achievement. Anyway, going on. What do you mean by that? Asked Chang-ji, meaning what are you talking about? Confucius said, if you look at them from the point of view of their differences, so now we're talking about an assessment of phenomena regarding what's different and what's same, or their phenomenal nature. Confucius said, quote, if you look, not quite a quote, but <laughs> Zhang Tzu calls it a quote, if you look at them from the point of view of their differences, mm-hmm, okay, relative view, then there's liver and gall, chu and yu, the states. But if you look at them from the point of view of their sameness, then the 10,000 things are all one. This is the two views uh, in Buddhism, the two truths in Mahayana, relative and absolute. A man like this, who can see both, doesn't know what his ears or eyes should approve, meaning he's not rigidly stuck in preference. He lets his mind play in the harmony of the, the harmony of virtue. Hmm. As for that, that's a very important phrase, by the way. Harmony of the, the Tao de, 
is a harmony. Knowing Dauda is, is harmony. As for things, he sees them as one and does not see their loss. Hmm. Meaning, there is a loss and he sees them as one. Hmm. He regards the loss of a foot as a lump of earth thrown away. <laughs> Pretty sophisticated. Changji said, in the way he goes about it, he uses his knowledge to get at his mind and uses his mind to get at the constant mind. Why should things gather around him? Actually, this is probably Confucius, and it was a textual, textual error <laughs> that they put this into the mouth of Changji, the student. But this is also a use, useful phrase. In the way he goes about it, he uses his knowledge to get at his mind and uses his mind to get at the constant mind, which is actually buddhi, the way of buddhi. It's above manas. Why should things gather around him? Now, you could be talking about why does this one-foot teacher have so many students or followers? Uh, why does, how can it be that attachment and binding occurs from, for one who uses, then uses mind to get at the constant mind, which is very similar to this sense of um, holding fast to the source. And, that, and the source is not a thing either. And in fact, it's not even the same as no thinking. Right? Samadhi as concentration, non-proliferation of thought, feeling. Um, that's fine. That's great. Um, it's revelatory. But trying to stay with no thinking is not quite the source either. It's, it's a knowing beyond the phenomena of uh, activity or stillness um, arising, persisting, passing away, or non-arising. It's the source of uh, the duality of um, arising, non-arising. <laughs> the source of um, uh, phenomena is uh, cannot. It's the deathless. It's the, the. It's not associated with simply not thinking, or it's not the identical to non-thinking. Some people have this view, too. Confucius said, Men do not mirror themselves in running water. They mirror themselves in still water. So like we were talking earlier, the server can mirror others because of their own seven chakra development. It's because of the stillness of mind that their seven chakra or mind-body-spirit complex can act as mirror for others. So they see themselves more clearly with us. That's just natural. It's not even intentional. Going on, of those that receive life from the earth, the pine and the cypress alone are the best. They stay as green as ever in winter or summer. Of those that receive life from heaven, Yao and Shun alone are best. They stand at the head of the ten thousand things. Luckily, they were able to order their lives and thereby order the lives of other things. Proof that a man is holding fast to the beginning, right? Hold to the source, lies in the fact of his fearlessness. Yes. <laughs> If we can get to fear, fear is the last um, obstruction. 2.1, one can say. Block, you know, 2.1 chakra level. Proof that a man is holding fast, I mean, <laughs> really, no joke, uh, fearlessness. Not, not, if you, there are very few people in the world who are really fearless. And I would not say I'm fearless. Because <laughs> we're talking about really fearless. Zero. Proof that a man is holding fast to the beginning lies in the fact of his fearlessness. A brave soldier will plunge alone into the midst of nine armies. He seeks fame, 
and can bring himself to this because he's just seeking fame. How much more then is it possible or is possible for a man who governs heaven and earth, stores up the 10,000 things, lets the six parts of his body be only a dwelling, makes ornaments of his ears and eyes, unifies the knowledge of what he knows, and in his mind never tastes death. He will soon choose the day and ascend far off. Men may become his followers, but how could he be willing to bother himself about things? Man is not a thing, yet uh, I is surrounded by things. I is surrounded by things. I is not a thing. I, the true nature of I, aham, aham is paramatman, of course, the true aham, not ahamkar, aham karma, not not the fashioned, false identity, not identity, true nature. Identity is fashioned. True nature is um, prior to, is of source and um, ultimately Paramatman, <clears throat> the greater Atman um, of the Logos of the One, uh, prior uh, to things. Mind, body, spirit complex are thing is a thing. <laughs> seven chakras, seven energy fields, seven dimensional, so called self in the octave is a thing. It's actually a vehicle of the One that experiences in the octave. The one experiences in the octave using the vehicle of mind-body-spirit complex, mind-body-spirit beingness, tonality, seven-dimensional, seven-chakra, seven-energy field vehicle. It's the the sheaths, the logoic sheaths are the seven-dimensional energy field, seven chakras, mind-body-spirit, beingness, totality, complex. If you can follow all that, you've got a pretty good... um, um, Metaphysical ontology, nature of being, what is the I? And um, one doesn't know that fully, I don't know it fully, we don't know it fully, until we're uh, fully fearless, fully free of fear. Fully free of fear. Really difficult, actually. Really. Only Gautama talked about it. Nichinanda said all that was finished in the womb, but that's another matter. So... (laughs) Compare up, don't compare down. And that's cool. So, uh, very heavy, uh, (laughs) wonderful teaching here. The point is that um, um, the true Jinran doesn't bother about things. And his body is a thing. And even mind is understood as a thing. Phenomena arise, persist, pass away. So does his own body. So does his own mind. So does, of course, life in the octave. So does human history. It it occurs, it persists, it passes away. I'm not saying I'm (laughs) finished. But uh, freedom from entanglement with things. And and reality is not a thing. Tat-sat is not a thing. It's such. And that's why the word is used. Tat. Tathagata, such, thus come one. Tathata, tat, such as it is, thus, this, this is thus. Uh, right here is such. Not a thing, not a thing. Because the thing, you know, there's physical form, but there's also, you know, nama rupa, right? So name and form, nama, name, rupa, form, name and form. Uh, that's the world of things. Apparent 
objects called forms, rupa, uh, being described and experienced by an apparent self calling using mind, particularly the manasic function, uh, to name those apparent things by nama, naming rupa. Nama names rupa. All that's the world of things. <laughs> Meanwhile, the best of trees stay as green as ever in winter and summer. And that's um, holding fast to the kingdom of heaven within. Going on, mid-page 110. I may not be able to read even read through this chapter 5, but I'll read as much as I can. Shantu Jia, who had also lost a foot, was studying under Bohun Wuren. Wuren. <laughs> Wuren can be translated as no man. Wu. Uh, no, empty. Ren, chen. Wu, chen. Wu, chen. Wu, chen. It's so funny to me how Chinese is uh, anglicized, romanized, uh, what the word man, one of the words for man in Chinese, commonly translated or, or anglicized, romanized as ren, R-E-N, right? This ren, that ren. Um... Mm, and so, uh, but it really sounds like jin, not ren, not ren, more like jin. Who can, who can say jin? They don't even have letters for that in English. Jin. Spell it. <laughs> I don't know. So they said ren. Anyway, bohun wuren might mean, bohun, I don't know. Wuren, uh, no man. Um, uh, Non-man. Along with jitan of jung. Uh, like jin ren is ren. <clears throat> but it's really not Jin Ren, it's Jun Jun Jun, something like that. Ji Chan said to Shun Tu Jia, quote, If I go out first, you stay behind, meaning die. And if you go out first, I'll stay behind. <laughs> Next day, the two of them were again, this is what, uh, over a, a, a jug of um, homemade wine, uh, rice wine. This is the kind of thing that was going on for some people. A uh, thousand, uh, long, it's still in China, but uh, it was kind of fun a thousand years ago when uh, Du Fu was around and after. <clears throat> Next day, the two of them were again sitting on the same mat in the same hall. Zhi Chan said to Sun Tu Jia, quote, If I go out first, you stay behind, and if you go out first, I'll stay behind. And he said, Now I will go out. Are you going to stay behind or aren't you? When you see a prime minister, you don't even get out of the way. Do you think you're the equal of a prime minister? <laughs> now, what are they talking about? Shentu Jia said, Within the gates of the master, is there any such thing as a prime minister? Right, meaning, what, do you, what are you doing coming here talking about right and wrong? What are you doing coming here talking about greater, lesser, and uh, believing in the apparent substantiality of things and uh, judgment? Higher, lower. Within the gates of the master, is there any such thing as prime minister? You take delight in being a prime minister and pushing people around you, or pushing people behind you. But I've heard that if the mirror is bright, no dust, no dust will settle on it. If dust settles, it isn't really bright. When you live around worthy men a long time, you'll be free of faults. This is another important takeaway. You regard Kalyanamitra. You regard the master as a great man, and yet you talk like this? It's not right, is it? Meaning, 
you think you're you think you're the equal of prime minister you're putting on airs. Ji Chan said, You, a man like this, and still you claim to be better than a Yao? Take a look at your virtue, the and see if it's not enough to give you cause to reflect. So be honest about your own deficiencies or faults. Shantu Jia said, People who excuse their faults and claim they didn't deserve to be punished, there are lots of them, but those who don't excuse their faults and who admit they didn't deserve to be spared, they are few. To know that to know what you cannot do anything about and to be content with it as you would with fate, right? Only a man of the virtue can do it. If you play around in front of Archer Yi's target, you're right in the way of the arrows, and if you don't get hit, it's just a matter of fate. There are lots of men with two feet who laugh at me for having only one. It makes me boil with rage, but I come here to the master's place, and I feel calmed down again and go home. I don't know whether he washes me clean with goodness, or whether I come to understand things by myself. The master and I have been friends for nineteen years, and he's never once let on that he's aware I'm missing a foot. Now you and I are supposed to be wandering outside the realm of forms and bodies, meaning not attached to these things of forms and bodies, and you come looking for me inside it, meaning inside the view that better and worse and whole and deficient are substantial. (laughs) In the world of reification, in the mental world, from the vantage point that things are real and eternal and critically important. Things are temporarily real or apparently real. They may be important temporarily. That may be critical. Their temporary importance, yes. If the house is burning, it's critically important temporarily, but critical that you get out. So there is impermanent, yet critically important and temporary. Temporary and impermanent and critically important. And then there's eternal, which is also quite important. (laughs) Although it may not be critical, it's never not important. It's always important to continue on our path to continue knowing our way. That's critical, actually. Even if it's not urgent, it's critical. So use of mind can clarify. Mind is good. Mind is helpful. Just don't get enslaved by your mind. Now, you and I are supposed to be wandering outside the realm of forms and bodies, meaning over attachment to uh, judgment and preference and, and notions of virtue and notions of righteousness, benevolence, propriety and all that, Um, getting stuck in the relative. You and I are supposed to be wandering outside the realm of forms and bodies, yet you come looking for me inside it. You're at fault, aren't you? Jitan squirmed. He lost. (laughs) Dharma battle over. Changed his expression, put a different look on his face, and said, say no more about it. (laughs) You win. I lose. All right. Um... See where we are here. Well, I won't be finishing this chapter. Let me read one more story, and that'll be it. In Lu, there are a lot of guys with no feet and no toes at this point in Chinese history. And unfortunately, uh, the world is looking a little bit like that today. 
In Lu, there was a, this is mid page one eleven. In Lu, there was a man named Shushan Notos, not the same as uh, Shushan the flight attendant. Lu, there was a man named Shushan Notos who had had his foot cut off. Stomping along or stumping along, he went to see Confucius. You weren't careful enough," said Confucius. "Since you've already broken the law and gotten yourself into trouble like this, meaning the punishment of having foot cut off, then what do you expect to gain by coming to me now?" And that's considered a super <laughs> non-Taoist response. No toes said, quote, "I just didn't understand my duty and was too careless of my body, and so I lost a foot. But I've come now because I still have something that's worth more than a foot." And I want to hold on to it. True nature. There's nothing that heaven doesn't cover up, nothing that earth doesn't bear up. I supposed, master, that you'd be like heaven and earth. How did I know you'd act like this? Meaning so judgmental, and punishing, in speech, to my culpability, responsibility for the loss of my foot that I really messed up, and you know, seeing it that way, just seeing it that way. Anyway, it was Confucius. Then says it was stupid of me," <laughs> said Confucius. "Please, sir, won't you come in? I'd like to describe to you what I've learned." But Notos said, "Fuck off." No, that's up in the original. Notos went out. Confucius said, <laughs> "Now, be diligent, my disciples. Here is Notos, a man who's had his foot cut off, and he's still striving to learn so he can make up for the evil of his former conduct." Or he's just striving to learn. How much more then should men whose virtue is still unimpaired? This is the, and it's taking um, the unmutilated body uh, as a as a stand-in for virtue. Virtue still unimpaired. The mutilated body, the body with no foot, no toes, no this that, doesn't mean the true virtue. The is impaired. I mean, it's pretty terrible loss, but uh, it's a thing too. I mean that that's you know, if you really have people like this who can accept that they've lose their foot and their hand and they're this and they're that, and they um, are really at peace with it as fate, destiny, what cannot be changed, really at peace with it. Um, that's a great being. That's a great achievement. I mean, really. Then going on, no toes. Shushan told the story to Lao Dan, Confucius, uh, um, uh, Lao Tzu. Quote, he said, Confucius certainly hasn't reached the stage of a perfect man or Jinran, has he? What does he mean coming around so obsequiously to study with you, uh, Lao Tzu? He is after the sham illusion of fame and reputation, and doesn't know that the perfect man, the Jinran, looks on these as so many handcuffs and fetters. Fame and reputation as handcuffs and fetters. Yes. <laughs> If you seek fame at this time in human history, you're dummy, really, really, and uh, you can help them and love them if that's your family. But it's not a good idea. It's a, <laughs> it's definitely uh, seeking, <laughs> seeking what will be harmful. Lao Dan said, "Why don't you just make him see that life and death are the same story, that acceptable and unacceptable are on a single string." Wouldn't it be good to free him from his handcuffs and fetters? Noto said, "When heaven has punished him, how can you set him free?" <laughs> These guys are turning it around, saying, 
heavens punishing Confucius by um, the fettering that he imposes on himself, seeking fame and reputation, or not knowing that acceptable, unacceptable are on a single string. And you can say people's limited view, anyone's limited view, wrong view, that leads to a greater dukkha suffering, entanglement, pain, is uh, their karmic, you know, uh, just uh, reward, karmic return. And so it's a kind of self-punishment. It's a kind of, you know, if if I am attached to name and fame, if I am seeking fame and gain, if I'm stuck in a very uh, limited, you know, low-ceiling materialist worldview, that's karmic justice too, you know? The views we take on are by choice, and the choices we make are influenced by our karmic stream, which we ourselves have um, established and um, continue to experience and feed. And that doesn't mean it can't be changed. It just means that um, all sorts of conditions of dukkha, including wrong view, including um, self-harmful seeking, seeking for that which leads me to pain. While in the long view, multi-incarnationally, you can say, no problem, you know, nine times fall down, ten times stand up, uh, failure, success, and every failure gets closer to success. Um, it still um, can be seen as a sort of karmic return uh, of reward and punishment, um, or there's a certain justice to it, and so, but the the thing that I'll come back to more next time because we got I'm going to wrap it up here, mid page one twelve, is this statement that one can see that life and death are the same story, acceptable and unacceptable are on a single string. This is really important, <laughs> and the same story on a single string is the same. The same story means there's an identity or there is an equivalence between these points of polarity, life and death, acceptable, unacceptable. And that's exactly what, that, that, that sums up the whole, the whole a, a major principle of the last four chapters, actually. Is there, if there was such a big difference between right and wrong, there would be no discussion or, or um, debate. And so, the useful and the useless, are you sure you know them? Are they sure? Are you sure that there is an inviolable or solidly placed or, or uh, implacable, irrevocable <laughs> uh, as you think? Are they really irrevocable? Cannot be changed? Are they really fixed matters? Right and wrong? Value, valueless? Acceptable, unacceptable? Uh, better, worse? True, false? It's much more subtle. Um, polarity is a unity. And this is a unifying perspective. So, this is very, you know, what is a love one all about? Well, it's uh, it includes or resonates with this teaching, life and death are the same story, acceptable and unacceptable are on a single string. That's where we'll pick up next time. It's actually very, very practical, um, achieving a greater understanding of non-duality. So, in the world of men, in the world of mind, in the world of uh, duty and um, duty, decision, 
fate, destiny, and the, the human life, today as any time. So, how about that? I hope it's helpful. Um, thank you for being here. It gives me an opportunity to explore this, which is beautiful teaching. So please take good care of yourself. Next time we'll continue mid-page 112. Take good care, and good night.